I'm glad you finally did that. I've been asking him ever since July 4th, hey, can we start? Can we start? Can we start? Because that... So it got reported this week, and this is way off script. It got reported this week um, by the only person in my home that has a social media account that I'm a Scrooge when it comes to Christmas. Hey, amen, brother. Hey, I, don't, amen. I don't know if, uh, I, and I don't know where that came from because unbeknownst to that individual, since Thanksgiving, I have it set up on my work truck that as soon as I start my work truck up in the morning and leave this song, we Have a Savior comes on, and that's the first song that gets playing, and then I crank it up, you know how you do when you're by yourself and you listen to music you like, and so that, I've been listening to that song every morning when I leave for work every since Thanksgiving, so I don't know, I think some of you saw that, it was fake news, it was fake news that was around there that I'm a Scrooge when it comes to Christmas time, so thank you brother for finally, finally doing that song, maybe we can do it till Memorial Day, so it's, it's, it's a great song. I'm glad that you're here this morning. I hope you have a Bible with you, preferably something you can open up, or if not, something you can turn on. And if you will find your way, make your way with me to the letter of Jude. To the letter of Jude. If you're not familiar or you're a little rusty on where that's at, you go to the end of the Bible, you'll be in the book of Revelation. You take a left from Revelation, and the very next letter you get to, to the left, is the letter of Jude. It's just one chapter, so you may uh, pass by, maybe it's a page, maybe it's two pages in your Bible, but we're in the letter of Jude this morning. And also, if you came in, you got one of these bulletins. On the back of that, there's some notes. If you want to use those, they'll be behind me up behind me on the screen. But there's some notes as we study through the book or the letter of Jude together. So we're going to be continuing as we have in the last couple weeks in this letter of Jude. I don't know if you know the name of Hiro Oanada. Hiro Oanada was a Japanese soldier that fought back during World War II. He died just recently, not recently, but he died um, in 2014. Japanese soldier fighting on the island, or fighting on the uh, Philippines, fighting in the Philippines. He, he, he claimed some recognition, and some of you may know his name, because as the American forces in 1945 were advancing and getting ready to liberate the uh, the country of the Philippines, um, he was given a direct order from his superior officer that said, do not surrender and do not take your own life. So Hiro Onada was there in the Philippines. As the American forces came and liberated that area, he hid. But for the next 29 years, he carried on guerrilla warfare. And for the next 20, 29 years, he refused to surrender and refused to take his own life. And in 1974, they finally flew his superior officer from Japan down to the Philippines to go in to rescind that initial order, allowing Hiro Odonata, Hiro Odonata to finally surrender 29 years after the battle was over. I was listening to a preacher that I love listening to by the name of Michael Gabbard, and he was talking about this story. Where's Adam at? You doing that? You, do, you taking care of that? Okay. So Michael Gabbard was talking about the story of Hero Onanada, and he, he made this statement about how some people might look at this story and might consider it a tragedy that a man, 29 years after the war and the battle was over, still was thinking that he was fighting the war. But Michael Gabbert made this observation. 
He said that might be a tragedy in some people's eyes, but what's even a greater tragedy is that you have a countless number of spiritual soldiers today that don't even realize there's a battle going on. And it's one thing to think you're in a battle that doesn't exist, but it's a whole different thing to be in a battle that you don't know that's going on. And here in the letter of Jude, we've been talking about Jude's encouragement and his exhortation to us as a church to contend for the faith. So if you look there in Jude and verse 3, it says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So the whole theme of this letter of Jude, the last two weeks we've been looking at how he identifies who we are, he identifies who is against us. This week we're going to look at who it is that we're contending with, and then next week, the final week, we're going to look at how it is that we maintain um, this contending battle. How do we fight this spiritual battle? Because what I've tried to uh, remind us all throughout this letter of Jude is that all believers in this room, All believers outside of this room, all of us who profess Jesus as our Lord and Savior, all of us are in a spiritual battle. And so what Jude is writing is to tell them and to encourage them to contend for the faith. That idea of contending means to strive, means to challenge, means to struggle, needs to understand that all of us are spiritual soldiers in a spiritual battle. So he frames that by telling us who we are. He frames it by telling who is against us. And then this morning, we're going to start in verse 17 and work our way down through verse 23. And he's going to remind us of who it is that we are up against. The challenges that you see there in your notes, the challenges we face. Because in order to contend as a Christian, in order to contend as a believer, not only do you need to know who you are in the eyes of Christ, who you are, your identity in Christ, but then you need to know who it is that is against us and then who it is that we are being challenged by and what it is that we need to be doing in this life called Christianity. So he talks about these challenges that we face. So in verse 17, this continuation that flows through this letter, he says, but you must remember, beloved, The predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. The first challenge that Jude points to us and reminds us of are those outside. Those outside, you may think outside of your sphere of influence, you may think outside of these walls, you may think outside of this church, you may think outside of your faith. It's those individuals that Jude identifies that are outside of the faith. And he identifies them in verse 18. He says, there will be scoffers. Now that's a reference if you were to go back in your Bible and look at 2 Peter chapter 3. It's a reference back to 2 Peter chapter 3. Because Peter writes and he says, Let me find my place. The predictions of holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. What 2 Peter is referencing is there are people that will come in that will say, you know what, you say you're a Christian. You say you're a believer in Jesus Christ. You say that Christ is coming back. Well, show me. Prove to me. Tell me how these things are true. You always have the skeptics that come in trying to poke holes in your faith. And so Jude is telling them, do you understand there are people outside of the kingdom of God? There are people outside of your faith. 
faith that are scoffers. They're always trying to poke holes. They're always trying to plant seeds of doubt. They're always trying to find the incorrect things within your theology and within your faith. So he tells them that he said to them, verse 18, in the last time there will be scoffers. But not just that. Notice he goes on there in verse 19. It is these who cause division, worldly people. So Jude says there's some challenges that we face. Not only do we have the scoffers that are looking to ridicule, the scoffers that are looking to say, well, if you believe in this Jesus thing, prove it. If you believe in this Jesus thing, what about this? If you believe in this Jesus thing, what about that? But then you also have worldly people. And worldly people are a little bit more innocent at face value, but are dangerous on the spiritual level. Let me try to explain this to you. You go back to the original language in the Greek, and this this phrase, worldly people, is one word in the Greek. And I put it there in your notes. That way you're not like, oh, he's just making this up. No, you're more likely to go back and look at it. This is the word that is used there in the original language, psychikos. Well, what does psychikos mean, Spence? Well, psychikos is a word that derives back to the Greek word psycho. And you Think about the origins of words and the, and the roots of words. It is psycho where we get psychology, psychiatry. Psycho in the Greek means that a person's soul or their life. And today in our modern world, we have people that engage in psychology and psychiatry and all these things addressing the brain. But I am here to tell you this morning that the vast majority of psychology and psychiatry is not based upon spiritual principles, but it's based upon worldly wisdom. Now, I realize that I've said this before, and sometimes I get pushback, and sometimes I get concerns. Let me just tell you kind of my basis where I'm coming from here. In my master's degree, in my seminary degree, I did a double major. Part of my major was in pastoral ministry, and then my other major was in biblical counseling. Gone through a certification program in biblical counseling, especially in the area of counseling. And right now, I'm pursuing a postgraduate degree in the area of counseling. This isn't something that I'm listening to someone else and I'm just shooting from the hip. But when you look at what pop psychology and pop psychiatry is trying to push as what is wise and what is true and what is helpful is not always lining up with the Word of God. Are there things that do coincide? Yes. But church, we need to be careful that we come to the world's wisdom. The world's wisdom does not supersede or take the place of God's wisdom. And Jude says, Jude tells us, you need to understand that one of the things that you're going to be contending against in this life is the wisdom and the supposed ideas of the world. And so he frames it there that you will have scoffers, you will have worldly people, but then he goes on in verse 19, devoid of the Spirit. I put there in the notes, not only will you have scoffers, you will have worldly people, you will have godless people. Now, where do you get that from, Spence? Well, if you look up there in, uh, in verse 18, it says, following their own ungodly passions. And then the part, last part of verse 19, it says, devoid of the Spirit. So Jude wants to make it very clear that when it comes to this spiritual life, we're going to be contending. And what are we contending against? We're contending against those outside of the faith. How do we know those people who are outside of the faith? Well, some ways that he gives us some means of understanding who they are. They're the individuals who like to change the standards. They like to change the standards. They like to redefine what is sin. They like to redefine what is marriage. They like to redefine what is right. They like to redefine what is wrong. They like to redefine what is true. They like to redefine what is holy 
They try to redefine what is right. Redefine what is godly. And Jude would write to us as the church, and as he's writing to them here in the New Testament, he writes to them and says, understand that there are challenges we face. And it's at a spiritual battle. There are spiritual battles taking place at the Supreme Court. There are, there are spiritual battles taking place at the government steakhouses. There are spiritual battles taking place in our schools. There are spiritual battles taking place at your work. Place. There are spiritual battles taking place in your home. There are spiritual battles taking place inside this room. There are spiritual battles going all around us, and at the root of the battle is the ungodly against the godly. And he says that you are to be contending. You are to understand that the challenges we face. Now notice this is not judgment. Notice this is not condemnation. Notice this is not you and I saying, oh, we're going to look down upon those people or we're going to point fingers at those people or be unloving. No, he says, do you understand that there is a battle? And part of the challenge that we face are those outside the faith. But then he continues on and he shows us another challenge that we face starting in verse 20, he says, but you, beloved. So he shifts the focus here, and he says it's not just a battle with those outside. It's also a battle with those inside. Now, I don't know how to put it without sounding accusatory, but it's one of those things that Jude is saying, listen, part of the challenge that you're going to face in your life is you. Now, I don't see that you as if I'm different and now you are guilty. I'm saying as in us, me, you, all of us. He's saying as a believer and as a Christian, part of the challenge that you're going to face is yourself. You're going to face challenges in yourself. Now, how do I get that? How, where, where are you getting that from, Spence? Look at verse 20. He says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. He says there is an opportunity that we have. There's a battle that we have in ourselves individually. Now, where do you get that from? How, how is he framing that here in the letter of Jude? Well, if you see it in your notes, I gave you three different scriptural passages to point to what he's talking about. So if you have your Bible open, please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Go back left in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 4, and we get this example. He says there's just three words, and I've underlined them in my Bible. You may underline them, circle them, highlight them, whatever, because these points to the marker. Judah's saying this is how you, bat you battle, this, battle this fight, fight this battle, how you contend with yourself. He says in verse 20, building yourself I don't want to try to take the place of the Holy Spirit, and I don't want to try to take the place of God and say, well, you have the power to do your own thing. But at the same time, listen to what he says in Ephesians chapter 4 and starting in verse 15. Paul writes and he says, Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. He says that we have a responsibility. We have an opportunity to grow in our faith. We have an opportunity to see that we are being fed spiritual nourishment. That we are growing in our understanding of Christ. That we're growing in our understanding of the Bible. We're growing in our application of God's word. So he says in Jude, make sure that you build up your faith. But then notice he also says there in verse 21, he says, keep yourselves in the love of God. So are you telling me, Spence, that I'm the one that maintains my own salvation? No. 
John 10, 27 and 28 makes it very clear that we're held in the hands of Christ. Christ is who holds us firm. Christ is whose salvation we are in. So Spence, how is it that Jude is saying, keep yourself in the love of God? Well, let me give you an example of what he's talking about. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, he says, not only build up your faith, but keep your place. Keep your place where? Keep your place where in the middle of God's love. Well, how do I do that? If Philippians chapter 4, we talked about this last Wednesday night as a church. Philippians 4 and verse 4, notice what it says. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You notice the, the way that thing lays out is that when we have times of struggle, when we have times of being challenged, when we have times of battles in our lives, what do we do? Do we go to the television? No. Do we go to the carton of ice cream? No. Do we go to social media? No. Do we go to our friends? No. Do we go to ourselves? No. Do we go to vice and behavior and all these things that we use as coping mechanisms to deal with the problems that we face in this world? No, no, no. What does he say? In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then what happens is, is that God supernaturally then holds us tight, gives us assurance, gives us peace, gives us understanding, and keeps us in the center of his will. So how it is that you stay close to God? You stay close to God. Friday night, we were up in Sepulpa. They got this big thing. Kale loves it. He was talking about how much he loved it just earlier. They got this thing on Main Street. It's called the Christmas shoot. I don't know how to describe it. It's just I would encourage something. When you go up there, let Kale know he would love to come and walk you through with it again because he just he loved it so much. But it, it was just this Christmas theme down down the uh, middle of downtown Sepulpa. There's Christmas stuff on both sides, and, and, and we're there on Friday night, and I got the two kids, and they're in the stroller, and they're kind of contained, they're, they're contained there in the stroller, and at one point, they wanted to get out because there was this little thing, you know, the kids go behind, and they look through the hole, and they take their picture, and it's, oh, cute, cute friend. I know Kale did it, but it's one of those things that they just, it's just pretty and cute, and so they're like, hey, let, let's get Mike, and let's take a picture. Well, he's all of two years old. And as soon as I take him out of that buggy and I set him there on the ground, what does he do? He takes off running. And it was one of those things that I'm sitting there going, no, you need to stay with me. And he's like, nope, see ya. See ya, pops. I got free and I am gone. We do that spiritually. We run from God. Because we think, I got this. I know where I'm going. I know what I'm doing. I know what, I, I know what it means to take care of me. And we take off. And God is sitting there going, stay close to me, stay close to me. And we're like, see ya. And we take off. That's what Micah did Friday night. He took off. And you know, as little two-year-olds do, their feet run fast, but they don't pick up their feet. And so their feet drag the ground. And so what happens is he made it from me to, not even to Greg, about halfway between Greg and I. And he got, and all of a sudden, he face planted. Because his body was going too fast for his legs. And as he face plants there on the roadway, what does he do? He immediately starts crying, saying, I want help. You know what, little feller? If you'd stayed with dad, you wouldn't be face planted on the concrete. 
But you decided you wanted to get away from dad. You wanted to take off, and you didn't get very far, and you face planted. And I'm sitting there looking at that, and part of me says, well, I'm supposed to be compassionate. I'm supposed to be merciful, and I'm supposed to be loving. And the other part of me goes, there's a sermon illustration right there. <laughs> and I'm not putting any of you in the position of Micah. I'm putting myself in the position of Micah because there has been too many times that I can point to where I said, I got this, God, and I take off, and I don't even get from me to Greg, and all of a sudden I face plant, and then I'm going, <laughs> and God's sitting there going, dummy. Don't have to stay very far, do you? And and that's what Jude's talking about there. Jude says, keep yourself. Keep yourself in the love of God. So he tells us, this is how we battle. This is how we fight this battle. And this is how we contend for our faith. We understand there are those outside that are seeking to tear us down, to wear us down. There are those outside that are godless in their ideologies. They're godless in their philosophies. They're godless in their approaches and what they find to be true. But we also understand there is a battle. There is a contention that is going on inside of us. And what is that? It's to build our faith, to grow in our relationship with Christ, to keep ourselves right in the middle of God's will. But then he also says there in verse 21, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now what, now what is that? What is he talking about waiting for the mercy? Oh, we know we've received mercy when it came to salvation. We know we've received mercy when he died on the cross for our sins. We know that we received mercy, and mercy is, is the idea that his gift towards us. But what is he talking about waiting for the mercy of God? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 might be one of my most favorite passages in all the Word of God because he reminds us of the mercy that's coming. He reminds us of the mercy that's coming for the believer. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, this is what the Word of God says. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we'll always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. He's reminding them, Paul is in 1 Thessalonians, in the same way that Judas are reminding us here, do you remember, do you understand, do you keep in mind that Jesus is coming back for his children. Jesus is coming back for the saved. Jesus is going to come back for the church and we can wait. We can wait for the mercy of the Lord because we know that it will be glorious and we know that it will be worth it. And we wait. We wait for the mercy of God. So he says you battle. Because when Satan says he's not coming back. When Satan says oh you got time. You can do your own worldliness. You can do your own you can do your own uh, sinning and then there's time to get right before God, there's time to get right bef- with God before he comes back all these things that, that Satan whispers in your ear oh you got time oh 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 he's not coming back all these things and yet he says this is how you fight the battle inside you build your faith you keep your place and you wait for Jesus Christ and yet for many times we give ourselves way too much credit i'm about as bad as people think i am I'm better than people think I am. It was in 1963, and there was an exhibit opened at the Bronx Zoo in New York City. And it caught a lot of attention. Because in this exhibit, there was the title above the exhibit that read, The Most Dangerous Animal in the World. 
And if you were to go up to this exhibit, it started in 1963. It was there all the way until 1981. There were other copycats of this exhibit that sprang up around the nation. But if you were to go to the Bronx Zoo there in New York City, and you were to walk up, and there was a cage. There was these bars, and there was a cage. And as you walked up to the cage, and the title above was the most, animal, the most dangerous animal in the world, and you were to walk up to the bars, and you were to peer inside to see what was inside, there was a mirror. And as you'd walk up and you'd peer inside the cage, you would see your reflection looking back at you. And the point of the exhibit was to make a very important point. That we are the most dangerous animal in the world. So they had written down below the enclosure to kind of explain the whole point of the exhibit. And it says, you are looking at the most dangerous animal in the world. It alone of all the animals that ever lived can exterminate and has entire species of animals. Now it has the power to wipe out all life on earth. And then it went on a little bit more text and then it finally ended up by saying, this animal increasing at a rate of 19,000 every 24 hours is the only creature that has ever killed off entire species of other animals. Now it has the power to wipe out all life on earth. And you may say, well, Spence, I don't like being called an animal. Well, the Lord calls us sheep. So if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, every single one of us have some link to a metaphor of being an animal. But the exhibit there in Bronx Zoo was just to remind people, because there was a lot of people then, and there's still a lot of people today that walk up, that think, well, you know what, I'm a good person. I'm better than that person. I'm, I'm more upstanding than that person. And we walk in thinking better of ourselves than we should. And what Jude wants to remind us is, Jude wants to say that there is a battle going all the time inside of us. We have those outside. We have those inside. And then as we continue on in verse 22, he finally shows us that there is a challenge. There is a battle that we face with those B-side. So you have those outside, those inside, and those B-side. What do you mean by that, Spence? I'm talking about those that are around you, those that are beside you, maybe in your workplace, maybe those beside you at the dinner table, maybe those beside you even here this morning. There's a challenge with those outside, those inside, and those beside. Notice in verse 22, he continues on here in the letter, and Jude says, and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by flesh. Let me hopefully try to illustrate this in a way that we can understand the challenge that he is referring to. In verse 22, he says, have mercy on those who doubt. Now, the word doubt is just simply to mean to waver or to have questions about. And sometimes we will start to think that, oh, you know what, uh, we, we feel guilty about having doubt. You know, I think sometimes doubt is a very common thing. A very common thing that takes place. And, and, and it happens spiritually. It happens physically. It happens relationally. And it's not meant to be a saying, well, as soon as you start having doubt, you're no longer saved. It's just to say that is part of the growing process. That is part of the process of growing up. And so he says doubt is an opportunity for growth. He says have mercy on those who doubt. It's this idea that you are going to see individuals at different stages of life, especially spiritually, that are questioning, is God enough? Is God's word sufficient? Am I really supposed to do all these things that God says in his word? When it says all, does that mean all? And all these questions that come. And he says when it comes to those people beside you, understand that people have doubts. Doubts are not 
damning, doubts are signs of opportunities. So he says, have mercy on those who doubt. But then verse 23, save others by snatching them out of the fire. Now that word snatching, that word snatching is to seize or to grab something suddenly. Let me just tell you how this works in my brain. Mornings like this, back in high school were some sweet mornings. Wet, cold, chilly. If you leave here, just this road right here to the north, Main Street of Wellston, it's actually 2nd Street. And if you were to take 2nd Street and you were to go about a half a mile out here to the east side of town, you would find yourself in an intersection. And that intersection, either you could turn south and you could go up to the highway and that would be safe and sound, everything would be right as rain. Or you could take a left. And you go up over the, trail, the railroad tracks and as you go over the railroad tracks, you would enter into the domain known as Sewer Pond. Now, some of you in this room may not have any idea what I'm talking about, so let me just try to explain. Town of Wellston has a series of sewer lagoons out here to this side of town. And they've got a road that goes around the outside barrier, outside perimeter of the sewer ponds. And that road is not graveled and is hardly maintained. And back 20 years ago, that was the place to go to show off how superior your four-wheel drive vehicle was or was not. So on a, on a night, wet, cool morning before school, <laughs> there would be a series of high school kids that would all assemble right out here, just a half mile outside of town, and they would sit right there up on the railroad tracks, kind of a high point, and they would survey the land. And before them would lay about a quarter mile of dirt road, and then it turns back up to the north, and, and, no, dirt road going, anyways, turns back up and comes back into town. So you'd sit right there on the railroad tracks, and you would survey it to think, do you think I can make it? Do you think I can't make it? And you would see the tracks of those that had tried. You'd see the tracks of those that hadn't. And you would sit there, and somebody had to be the first one, and say, well, I'm going to try it. Well, if you get stuck, I'll come pull you out. So it was inevitable that you would sit there, and you would watch. And all of a sudden, here goes Billy Bob Joe. And all of a sudden, he takes off, and he starts making his way through it. And then sometimes he would, and there he'd be. That's only half the fun. The other half of the fun is the rescue. Because here goes Billy Bob Joe the second, and all of a sudden he takes off, and he's going to go pull him out. Well, if you've ever been involved in that kind of scenario where you're pulling someone out of the mud, there's some rules. And these are unspoken rules. You probably, you probably think of these without even realizing, even saying them out loud. But when you get ready to pull someone out, you don't see how close you can get to that person. You don't see if you can get right beside them. You don't even try to get down there right amongst them. You try to get as close to them, but yet as far away from them so that the chain or the strap or whatever you're using, bed sheet or whatever it is that you're using to pull them out, you want to get as close but as far away to that person. And then you always got somebody in the rescue vehicle. You always got somebody in the, the stranded vehicle. And you say, okay, I'm going to pull on you. And that person gets in there. And they're, on, has, they're up as, high, as good as they can in the firm footing. The person that's stranded is off in the stuck footing. And so that person gets up there. And most of the time, it's supposed to happen. They're supposed to pull the line tight. And then it's like, we're going to try to pull you out gently. Well, Billy Bob the first did it right. He's not going to get pulled out gently. So Billy Bob the second says, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to back up, and I'm going to jerk on you. That's when everybody starts to stand back. That's when camera phones start to come out. And that's when the videos start rolling. Because then what happens is that person backs up. And then he takes a run and jump. And that line goes tight. That person in that stranded vehicle starts to hunt. And that person in the rescue vehicle puts on the gas. And you start to see if you're trying to rescue that person, pull that person. 
snatch the vehicle out of the mud. The language here. The language here in Jude 22. He says, save others by snatching them out of the fire. That idea is that you and I understand that there are people around us that are lost and going to hell. And the eternal fires of hell are hot. And the eternal fires of hell are real. And we know of men and women, boys and girls, family, friends, acquaintances. We know of people that are headed there because of their sin, because of their rebellion, because of the refusal to turn from God. And they are headed to hell. And Jude says, you know what? There's this challenge that you have beside the, the people beside you to go and to snatch them out. Do we have the power to save them? No, but we have the power to go and tell them that you're a lost sinner headed to hell. And this is what it means to be saved. This is what Jesus Christ has done for you. This is how much God loves you. And we're going as they're headed to hell. We're snatching them out of the fire. And we don't get excited about that. We don't get passionate about that. We don't celebrate that. And he says that's what it means to be in the spiritual battle. Is you realize there are people that are headed to hell. And we see it as soul snatchers. So what are we doing? We got a lot of people that are spiritually stuck in the mud. And they're stuck in the mud because they're blinded to the effects of their own sin. They're blinded to the spiritual battles that are going around them. They're blinded to just how far they've gotten. They're blinded to all these things. I'm going through this right now in my own family. Dumb games. There's going to be dumb prizes. People are stuck. And this is the idea that Jude says, do you understand that there's a challenge? There's an opportunity. Do you understand what it means to contend for the faith? Is that you're pursuing after these individuals, seeking a way to snatch them. Maybe it's a word. Maybe it's a conversation. Maybe it's just a, a short moment. Something that you can do to get a hold of them and to free those seized that are seized, stuck in their sin. So he says in verse 23, you save others by snatching them out of the fire. So not only is he saying that you had this battle outside, this battle inside, and those beside us. Don't be condemning when it comes to doubt. And understand there are people that are stuck in their sin that are waiting for you to extract them. But then this last one, what are we done? To others, show mercy. With fear, hating even the garment stained by flesh. Now what does he mean by that? What's Jude trying to get at when he talks about showing mercy with fear? Well, you know, there's sometimes in our own daily lives we can think about what it means to be merciful. What it means to be merciful or compassionate is to show people love. They're, they're in a bind. They have a need. There's something that's going on. And we just say, here is help. Here is resources. Here is opportunity. It may be finding somebody that's on the side of the street and they're asking for money. It may be somebody that knocks on the church door and they're asking for a bill to be paid. It's somebody that shows up and, the, and they say that, you know what, I want you to satisfy a need. And those are times that we can show compassion and those are times that we can show mercy. And we have and we should and we will. But Jude said it goes beyond just showing mercy because he says showing mercy with fear. And what does he mean by that? Well, I think, based upon my understanding of the Word of God, when he's talking about mercy with fear, he's saying that you understand that when you start engaging in compassion ministries, you're going to be dealing with people that have a lot of sin in their lives, that are going through a lot of sin, and those same temptations for sin are the same temptations that you deal with. Maybe I can put it a different way. My own mind, once again. A couple weeks, I'll have two. Not, not, not. A couple weeks. Jaylene and I will have two children in diapers. 
Now, some of you are beyond that, and bless your heart, and I envy you. Some of you haven't gotten to that, and I am looking forward to watching you go through that. But you know, there's something that is really precious about when you get a child with a dirty diaper. And you'll have those diapers that those diapers have used up all the real estate inside of the diaper. So you find that child, and that child has used up all the real estate. In fact, they're even having a, uh, some of it's kind of peeking out. And so you grab a hold of that child, and you love that child, and you don't want that child to stay in that dirty diaper. You don't want that child to stay in that sin. And yet you know if I grab that child up, and I hug, and I cuddle, and I love on that child, there's going to be two changes that need to happen. So what do you do? Pick that child up. You carry it. <laughs> you carry it over. You set it on the table. You take it over and you carry it and you put it in the sink, something else. Am I showing mercy? Yes. But what am I also doing? I'm making sure that the effects of that sin does not get on me. And I think what Jude is trying to tell us is Jude is saying, yes, you need to be merciful, but you need to show mercy with a purpose. You need to understand when you're showing mercy to the people of God and when you're showing mercy to the people of this world, when you're showing mercy to the people behind you, why are you showing them mercy? Are you showing them mercy so, they think, so that they think good about you? Are you showing them mercy so that you feel better about yourself? Or are you showing them mercy to point them to Jesus? So he says, showing them mercy with fear. Not hating them, but hating the garment stained by the flesh. He's saying you are not going and <coughs> compromising or condoning the sin. You understand the effects the sin is having on people. You understand the effects the sin is having on you. So you're going to these individuals and you're showing them mercy. You're not saying, oh, it's okay to be a sinner. Oh, it's okay to be engaged in this sin. Oh, it's okay to be rebellious. Oh, it's okay to live in a way that defies the word of God. But you go to them and say, I want to show you mercy even despite yourself because I want to point you to Jesus. And there's a battle. There's a battle, especially when it comes to our lives today, when it comes to the compassion ministries and the social ministries of this church. How it is that we point people to Jesus. Sure, we will help you with the utility, but is that going to point you to Jesus? Sure, it is that we'll put food on your table, but will that point people to Jesus? Sure, it is that we understand that broken people are broken and they look like they're broken. But how are we going to point them to Jesus? There is a spiritual battle so Jude comes in, and as he's writing to them, he encourages them. Fight the battle. Be in the battle. And recognize the battle is outside, the battle is inside, and the battle is beside us at all times. So how do we do this practically? Well, down there in your notes you see just three practical steps that I want to remind you of. The first thing is to pursue the eternal. To pursue the eternal. It can be very tempting for you and I in this walk that we're living in, in this life that we have, that we pursue money. We pursue approval. We uh, pursue possessions, opinions of other people. We pursue this thing the world calls to be important. And yet Jude is telling us we need to pursue the eternal. We need to understand that there is such thing as heaven and hell. Both are real places and everyone in this room, everyone on the face of this earth is going to spend an eternity in one of two places, either heaven or hell. And we have an opportunity to tell people that both are real places. Everyone is going to one of two places. And this is how you go to heaven. This is how you go to hell. And tell them, hey, 
I want you to come with me to heaven. We have an opportunity to pursue those people. Not just pursue the eternal, but we have an opportunity to submit to the spiritual. To submit to the spiritual. Jude is all through this letter is reminding us that this isn't a physical battle. This isn't a guns, bullet, and beans thing. This isn't one of those battles that you and I can go out and we go, yep, yep, yeah. There's the good guys, there's the bad guys, there's the dividing line, and this is what's going on. We're not watching this play out like a movie on the big screen. This is a spiritual battle. So we must submit to the spiritual. God has a plan and purpose for your life. And part of that plan and purpose for your life is to be led by the Spirit, not led by yourself. We have a lot of people in this world today that are not being led by the Spirit. They're being led by themselves, and they're not submitting to the spiritual authority in their lives. So Jude would remind us to pursue the eternal. He would remind us to submit to the spiritual. And then lastly, he would remind us to fight the right battles. To fight the right battles. There's a lot of battles that are raging on right now on your television on your computer, in your workplace. There are battles that are taking place in the school systems. You students, there's battles, drama. This kid said this, this teacher said that, this person did this. Us adults, we had the same kind of drama. Politics, health, financial, governmental, all of these things, these battles are there. And we can get so distracted with the temporal. We can get so distracted with the earthly. We can get so distracted with the battles meant to draw our attention away. We forget the battles of eternal purposes. So Jews said, fight the right battles. So here's my question for you. What is the greatest challenge you're facing this morning? Bow your heads with me.